0: Anyway,
1: I'm going to speak today, and um, we're in a little series, but I want to start by asking you if you will just see if you can complete a sentence for me, okay? So, imagine this is my friend Attila over here. I'm not asking you to imagine he's my friend. He is my friend, okay? So Attila plays the bass, but he's also very, uh, he's a very kind of like able and active and climber, loves going to the mountains. imagine Attila was to come to me and go, hey, I'm thinking of going to the Alps to go climbing next week. I wondered if you wanted to join. Imagine my response, because I love mountains as well. I'm not necessarily, like, particularly, you know, with climbing. And I might say to him, do you know, what? I'd love to do that, but unfortunately I don't know if I can because I simply don't have enough... Experience. <laughs> yeah. See, I did wonder if someone's going to get courage, experience. ability, experience. <laughs> but the word was time, Okay. That's true, I don't have that much ability either, but (laughs) how many of you, when someone comes up to you, maybe in church or work and go, how are you, and your response is, hey, I'm fine, but I'm a bit... Busy. Busy, yes, exactly. How many of us find that we make endless list to-do lists? Anybody make to-do lists? Just let's give a show of hands, is a confession moment. How many find the confession, those to-do lists multiply? Anybody anybody put their to-do lists on computers? i yeah. add things after I've done them just to show I've done them. Yes, Even how many of us do, do that? You there. write them back on just to be able to write them off. Okay. Because we're desperately trying to keep... Exactly. We're in a little series right at the start of the, of the year where we're uh, really talking about how to start the year in the right way. And Vahe started, he was preached here on, uh, a couple of weeks back, he talked about the importance of looking up and starting the year of looking up in this kind of biblical... Uh, kind of encouragement to look and get our lives oriented around God rather than around ourselves. And there's that great picture he talked about learning how to surf and how you need to look up rather than looking at your feet. And then Karen spoke last week about just how how we do that and the importance of just spending time with Jesus, learning to do all those things and kind of like making that a priority. Both super important and super helpful. But the danger I think with any series like this, any kind of start of the year, any January, any kind of almost New Year's resolution-like series, is that as Christians, if you're a Christian here and you've given your life to Jesus, if that's where you are, as Christians, what we tend to do is we start to think about our spiritual life, and we kind of go, do you know what, I, I, I want to get better at my spiritual life, I want to think about God more, I need to pray more, I need to read the Bible more, all good and important. But the problem is we start to compartmentalize and think this is the bit of my life that I'm gonna focus on. But actually I think sometimes we need to think more holistically about our lives. We tend to say to ourselves, I've gotta do better at that, I've gotta do more of that. I'm gonna get better at looking up, I'm gonna spend more time with Jesus. But at the same time, if we're not careful, we ignore the other bits of our lives, our schedules, our commitments, our personalities, which are some of the main reasons and hurdles why we struggle to do those things in the first place. In other words, basically, you can't do more of this without doing less of something else. You have to choose. Jesus is not after redeeming particular aspects of our lives. He's after redeeming the whole of our lives. John Ortberg, who's an American author, pastor, says like this. Too often, people think about their spiritual lives as just one more aspect of their existence alongside largely separate from their financial lives or their vocational lives. Periodically, they may try and get their spiritual lives together. Praying more regularly, trying to master another spiritual discipline. It is the religious equivalent of going on a diet or trying to stick to a budget. The truth is, the term spiritual life is simply a way of referring to one's whole life. Every moment, every facet of it from God's perspective another way of saying this is this: God is not interested in your spiritual life God is just interested in your life and he intends to redeem it the whole thing so I want to talk about today the issue of time and rhythms living in rhythms because I think how we handle the issue of our time and the rhythms of our life or the lack of rhythms in our lives is pivotal if you want to do the, the things we've talked about in the last two weeks. So if you think, I want, to, I want to look up, I want to live a life where I put God first, I want that to be the case. And I do want to pray, and I do want to get... If you want to do those things, you have to understand and think deeply about how you spend your time. If you don't do that, I don't think you'll ever do that. So we're we going to talk about time and rhythms. Now the world will teach us that the most precious commodity you ever spend is what? Money. money. Money is the most precious commodity. And money is very important. Jesus talks a lot about money in the Bible. He spends a lot of his time teaching about the kingdom and about money. But I want to suggest to you an even more precious resource that we get to spend, that we are supposed to steward carefully, is time. And the truth is, how we spend... Spend our time will absolutely affect and shape who we become. What we give our time to, who we give our time to, will totally impact the people we grow into one way or another. There's a terrifying story in the Old Testament. David, King David, who we know was like a man after God's own heart. But you know, if you know the Old Testament, there's a moment where he just goes right off the rails ends up committing adultery, ends up getting the woman's husband murdered. I mean, he is off the rails. But there's a little phrase right in the middle where it says, at the time when kings were supposed to go to war, David stayed at home. I don't know if you've ever read that stuff. There's this little phrase. In other words, David was supposed to go to war, and he decides, I'm going to stay at home. And it's on that moment that he sees the woman he then commits adultery with, and the whole story starts to unravel. In other words, he doesn't give his time to the thing he should have done. And often sins of omission, things I should be doing that I stop doing, lead to sins of commission. In other words, I stop doing something I should have been doing and it leads me into something that I start overtly doing. And it's all around what David does and doesn't do. So, I'd love to talk more about that, but I just don't have enough time. But anyway, this morning, we're going to think talk about the issue of time and the bible i believe has a lot to teach us about time and in particular the bible has a lot to teach us about rhythms of time so if you look back in creation we obviously talked about creation with the kids well in the creation story there are rhythms that god starts to create in which we are supposed to live so you read through genesis 1 genesis 2 so day 4 This is what it says. This is the ASV. It says, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. In other words, God starts to separate time into rhythms. He doesn't make just one sweep of time without any shifts and changes. He goes, no, 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 no. there's going to be nighttime and daytime. Then There's going to be seasons. There's going to be years. So certain rhythms are begun to put into creation. In fact, when you, and again, when you read through day one, day two, you keep reading through, you'll see God stepped back and said, oh, it's good. He steps back and says, it's good. first time he says it's not good is when he sees Adam on his own. In other words, we're supposed to be in community and connected. We need one another. But every day that God is creating and then he reflects, again, there's a little hint of a rhythm. Moments when we engage, moments when we work, moments when we reflect. God creates humankind in such a way that we need to sleep. It's interesting, isn't it? Somewhere between a quarter to a third, I don't know how many hours sleep you get, but somewhere between a quarter to a third of your entire existence, you won't be conscious. Have you noticed that? Why does God do that? That's an interesting thing, isn't it? I don't know how many hours you get to sleep. Maybe, yeah, I won't ask you to confess to the person next to you. But somewhere around between a quarter to a third of your entire life, you won't even be awake because God puts certain rhythms into our existence that we need to live in. If you try and to somehow live outside that rhythm of not enough sleep, it tends to produce very bad things in your life because you're not made to live outside that rhythm. You're made to live within it. Yeah. So if you've ever anybody ever kind of pulled an all nighter to do an essay or mm. how many of us felt great the next day i'm so glad i didn't get any sleep for 24 hours no because you're supposed to live within a rhythm so god creates humankind and then we're told on the seventh day god finished his work and on that day he rests from all his work and god blessed the seventh day and made it holy did god really need a rest no you know god's god's not tired god is creating a rhythm for our benefit and he's saying, no, on the seventh day, I'm going to show you, I'm going to model to you an engagement and a working and a withdrawal and a stopping. So there's a rhythm that we need to live in harmony with. And then if you know the creation story, that Cindy reminded us of, sin enters the world, Adam, Adam and Eve rebel, they decide they want to decide for themselves what's good and what isn't. And from that moment, not only does our lives and the fabric of our lives start to disintegrate, We start to find sickness and all kinds of brokenness. But also the rhythms of time are broken in effect. And it's interesting. If you read through Genesis and you get to the moment where, you know, through the Joseph story and then suddenly fast forward to the time of Moses and the people of Israel are in Egypt and now they are slaves. What we're told is part of being a slave in Egypt is Pharaoh makes you work. And you will find references to Pharaoh saying, Man, the Israelites are so numerous. We need to be careful about them. Let's make them work. And then you fast forward a few more chapters and you find he's even more concerned about the Israelites. So he goes, we're going to make them work even harder. And in other words, Pharaoh starts to drive the people. And the rhythms seem to be getting lost. And Pharaoh starts to drive them. Egypt, a place of slavery, was a world without rhythms. But as soon as God starts to rescue Israel, which is what happens in the Exodus you know god sees to moses let's get them out and pharaoh's not very happy about this but eventually they get out and they get out of egypt and obviously god is promising them a new land and a, and a new place and a place which is going to be like incredible as soon as god gets them out of slavery then rhythms start to reoccur for israel in their history it's quite interesting you read through so exodus 16 the israelites start to live off manna they have no food god gives them manna and we're told on the sixth day they're allowed to collect two portions of manna every other day it's only one because it's a way issue of trusting him that he'll provide each time but on the sixth day it's two and on that day they can collect two lots for the sixth day and the seventh day because the seventh day is going to be holy they are to disengage rather than re-engage it's a withdrawal it's another rhythm fast forward four chapters exodus 20 god gives through Moses, the commandments, if you know the Ten Commandments, well, the fourth commandment, God says, now I'm going to reinstitute what was in creation called a Sabbath day. There's going to be a rhythm to your world, and on that day I want you to disengage from work. I want you to live in a rhythm. Six days you work hard, but on that day you withdraw. The seventh day, the Sabbath, to the Lord your God. On that you shall not do any work. So you get this contrast. Pharaoh drives them harder and harder. God commands them to stop and rest. And then, if again, if you read through Israel's history, God instigates festivals. So once a year, he says, I want you to celebrate Passover, remembering where you left. That day, I want you to remember and reflect. And then you will read through Israel's history, and there are more festivals and more festivals, and they are days of coming together, often days of feasting. They are days of remembering, celebrating what God has done. They are reflecting on what has happened they were to be a national rhythm so you start to get this sense of there's a daily weekly annual rhythm now i don't know if you've ever read about sabbath or thought about sabbath and christians view the issue of sabbath differently whether jesus himself has fulfilled the sabbath which is what it says in the new testament what does that mean for us but whatever you think of that passage clearly the bible says Christians need to live in some kind of rhythm and harmony with how God's made you and me. Jesus himself models a rhythm of work and rest, engagement, withdrawal, extensions, but also boundaries and limits. So he tells a story, a very famous story of a good Samaritan. Yeah, Here's the guy that Jesus goes, this is how you love people. And he tells the story about the guy who finds the man on the road who's been beaten up Everybody else who should stop doesn't stop. This man stops, takes care of him, takes him somewhere. Okay, And we tell that story, and rightly so, look, here's a guy who says yes to a problem, who stops, who loves, who shows compassion. But the flip side of the story is, there is a moment where he stops caring. Well, not stops caring, but stops actively being involved. There is a moment where he, he doesn't take that guy home, he doesn't adopt him, he doesn't live with him. There is a moment, there's a limit to the story as well. There is an engagement, and there's a limit. There's a boundary, in other words. Because God's calling you to live in rhythms. One of the reasons God gives us sleep, sleep is to remind us that we're not him. <laughs> because we need to stop. Strangely enough, when we stop, he keeps going. The sun goes down, the sun comes up. Well, not in the Netherlands, because the sun <laughs> seems to go down at about 2 in the afternoon and come up at about <laughs> 11 in the morning, but... Do you know what I mean? It's like dark. It's so long. But there are these rhythms. We're not in control. You go to sleep. You're not conscious. You wake up. Hey, it's a new day. And I didn't do anything. No, because you're not him. Mm-hmm. We're made to live in these rhythms. Jesus himself does this. Mark 1, if you read the first chapter of Mark, he has this remarkable day of ministry. Extraordinary things happening. And I think Carlin even referred to it last time. Remarkable things. And then You know, if if that was kicking off in our church or pretty much any other church in Rotterdam, people would be opening new services, opening new venues, planting more churches because crowds and crowds and crowds of people are coming. And then Jesus goes, I'm off. In fact, he doesn't tell anybody, he just leaves. (laughs) And he heads off and he withdraws and he's on his own and he's praying and he's just withdrawing. And in the morning, Peter and the others find him and they go, everyone is looking for you. And it's not, I, I don't think it's a... A happy, it's a kind of slightly telling off kind of phrase. Like, what are you doing? Everyone is looking for you. And then Jesus goes, let's go somewhere else. I mean, everything's happening. And Jesus goes, let's go somewhere else. In other words, he doesn't appear to be completely shaped by the demand, by the expectation. He's not shaped by disappointing people and fear of that. He's not trying to please someone. He's not shaped by the opportunity or the popularity. He doesn't experience any fear of missing out. Those are not driving him at all. There is no insecurity driving him to, I've got to be on it. I've got to be there. I've got to take advantage. I cannot miss out, which so often affect our own ability to withdraw. He is completely at ease at living in rhythms. So he engages and he withdraws. Why is this so important? Because I think a life of looking up, of living closely to Jesus, walking with Him, is absolutely connected to a life of living with rhythms. Maybe part of the reason that Jesus' ministry, earthly ministry, was so remarkable was because He was able to not only engage but withdraw. It's interesting, you read the story of Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua fought battles, takes land, fulfills, like steps into the promises of God. But we also find that he withdraws and dwells in the tent of meeting. So there's this correlation between incredible breakthrough but an ability to step back. Maybe for us to do more of certain things, we have to do less of some other things. And the problem is we find this super challenging because we live in a world which has lost its sense of rhythm, particularly in the West. I suspect it's true all over the world, but particularly in the West, if you've grown up in the West like I have, we live in a world that has lost its sense of rhythm. In fact, we live in a world that tells you the way to a better life is to do more, have more, go more, go faster. Yeah? It doesn't tell you, stop, withdraw, rest. It says, go, go, go. So over the past 50 years, I appreciate not all of us in the room work full-time, or in the, are in the kind of, well, is a very privileged position to work full-time? That's a privilege. Not all of us are in that, so you have to just contextualise this to your own life. But over the last 50 years, I would say for many of us, work has shifted from something we do to sometimes something which now threatens to consume us and own us. Technology, which is a wonderful gift. This isn't an anti-technology talk. Okay, this is not like let's go back to the 1940s talk or anything like that. But technology, which is a wonderful gift, has a way of consuming our time, not somehow expanding our time. We can't expand our time. Technology means that we can work anywhere and at any time, which is a great thing. But the problem is, the danger is we tend to therefore work everywhere and work a lot of the time because we can. So the distinction between even work and resting, the office or home, is blurring and has blurred. And the natural gaps of traveling, walking, commuting, whatever it is, are now filled with the opportunity or possibility of doing more work or being connected or catching up on emails or speaking to yet more people. Those things which were just natural gaps before have now kind of been blurred and lost. And even if we're not working, we can still be switched on. We can be looking at whatever feed is coming up on our phones. So we lose those little critical gaps where we used to have stray thoughts, an inspired idea, maybe a memory, maybe a nudge from God to ring someone, think about someone, pray for someone, just get lost and squeezed because we're just being fed stuff off our phone. I mean, sometimes in the Netherlands, you even see people cycling and still looking at their phone. Because we just like... Like, it's just like every gap is possibly filled with a possibility to be stimulated by something rather than just space. That's the challenge of our world. And I believe into all of this, God says, I want you to live in rhythms and learn how to engage and how to withdraw. So that means at times we work very hard. And actually, the Bible talks about working hard. This is not about not working hard. Jesus works hard. If you read in Mark 3... It says he worked so hard they didn't have any lunch, and his family came to find him and said he's gone mad. They were so concerned about it. So this is not about not working hard and giving ourselves. It's about knowing there are limits and boundaries, and there are times we have to withdraw. So there are times that we work super hard, but there are times that we need to not. And I guess I'm going to major on the not, because I think that's the thing we're not very good at, generally. Times every day when we stop... When we don't answer emails, text messages, WhatsApp, look at Instagram, whatever it is. Times when you sleep and get enough sleep. Yeah? Some of us need to learn how to do that. Don Carson, who's a pretty famous theologian, pretty Bible heavyweight, would say one of the reasons he believes sometimes Christians become cynical about faith is because they're sleep deprived. He correlates sleep deprivation with a sense of cynicism about faith. Because we're not living in harmony of the rhythm of the way we're made. So times when you sleep. Evenings or time slots each week where, which are given to things other than work, to friends, to family, to recreation. You need to find those. Maybe a day every week. I would suggest definitely a day every week when you draw a line and go, this is a day where I'm not working, where I'm, I'm not going to be on technology all the time. I am just making space this day where we leave all that stuff. And times and rhythms each year, maybe times when you have a break, where you have a holiday, if you can afford it. I realize this is a privileged thing again and a bit of a Western thing, but ideally a holiday where you leave your house and go away, go do something else. Ideally, if you can, a week, even better, two weeks where we actually disengage. Because rhythms are God-given boundaries. They remind us who we are and who we're not. That we are finite, limited humans, and that we're not God. Like I said, sleep is an amazing reminder that we're finite. That I do not sustain my own life. Rhythms, boundaries, the ability to stop and withdraw, allow us to feel things again. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but this is certainly true in my life. When I stop, when I withdraw, and I withdraw for long enough, maybe have a day off, maybe have a few days off, it's interesting how many emotions rise to the surface in me. Things that have kind of been there, somewhere under the surface, start to come up, almost without me even consciously doing it. Years ago, I had a, I worked for a church for a long time. I had what they called a sabbatical, which again, a great privilege. meant 12 weeks off and away, and I went cycling for a week. I cycled from our house down into a bit far in the west of England. And this cycle ride ended up being a very emotional journey for me because I went down to my brother's house. My brother had just been ill with cancer. So I was thinking about that. Then I cycled down into Dorset, which is a beautiful county where I realised this is where we'd had loads of holidays with our kids. And then I cycled through the village where Sarah and I were on honeymoon. And then I ended up where I went to university. I hadn't planned it like this, but it just... I just started to process emotions and I would not have processed any of those emotions or thought about those things or prayed in the way I did if I had not stepped back and withdrew. Sometimes when we withdraw, that's when we start to feel the sadness. That's when we feel the gratitude. That's when we start to feel the joy. Jesus says in Matthew 13, he talks about the soil of our lives, that he comes and sows seed, right? And he tells that story, that parable about how fertile the land is or the soil and the soil is the soil of our hearts and he talks about hearts that are calloused and hard that cannot receive what he's saying sometimes our hearts get calloused and hard because we just have never stopped yeah occasionally you see people who do my job as pastors and you see them when they're not on service, like they're not in charge of anything. They stand in the worship time and they can't help. Just They're just checking everything out because they just don't know how to be in worship anymore because they spend their whole time being on. That's what happens in my job. And rhythms and boundaries also allow us the opportunity to put into our lives the people and the things that we value the most and care about. There is a huge connection in terms of emotional well-being That and our ability to walk closely with Jesus. Those things are connected. So how do we do this? Four things I want to say today as we close. Okay. First thing is this, because we need to do something about this. Okay. First thing is this, I want to suggest something you can read. Okay. Now there's an article I read years ago, you might, if you've got a phone, you can write this down, you can write it on a piece of paper. There's an article I read years ago called Reading Your Gauges. It's by a guy called Bill Heibels. Now, sadly, Bill Hybels' ministry has been derailed in the last few years because of some misconduct, which is tragic. He led a big church in America for many years. Yet, clearly God used him for many years as well. And there's an article called Reading Your Gauges that talks about his physical life, his spiritual life, but his emotional life. He talks about, like, gauges on a car. And I found that incredibly helpful as a very simple tool about thinking about my life a bit more holistically. Particularly my emotional well-being. So I want to suggest you read that. It's a super, super helpful article. Here's the second thing. Something to value. All of us, when it comes to time, have to work out what and who are and is important to us. And then we have to give priority in our time to the things that we believe are and the people that we believe who are important to us. If we don't work out what's important to us, right, then our diary will be dictated to us, and you won't live in rhythms. But if you think through, well, what matters to me? Okay, if you're married, your spouse matters to you. If you have kids, and you're fortunate enough to have kids, your kids should matter to you. If you believe in church, and you're part of a church, your church, hopefully, should matter to you. And being connected, if there are friendships that you want to build, and I suggest you should build friendships, they should matter to you and you're going to need to give time to it if there are things hobbies recreation that God passions that God gives you that are God given then you should give time to them you have to think through what do I value what matters what counts what makes life important how does life work and you have to think it through deeply carefully what do you value Third thing is this, something to do. This is very practical. You have a piece of paper on your, on your chair or on your lap, okay? Now, this is just a very simple tool. There's probably lots of better tools, okay? But this is a very, very simple tool. Seven days a week, this is what we all have. You have a morning and an afternoon and an evening. I appreciate if you're fortunate enough to work. Quite a lot of those slots are already taken up by work, right? So at some point, not right now, but at some point today, you might go, well, that's when I work, I work, I work, I work. And then I want you to think through, if I value church, how much time am I going to give to that? If I want to build friendships, when do I do that? If I, if I keep saying to myself, I ought to do that, but I never do it, it's probably because you've not thought through how to give time to it. You have to think carefully and then be actually active about giving time. Think through recreation, friendships, your kids. If you have children, when are you going to give time to them? So typically for me, let me give you a little insight to me. Typically for me, I have a day off each week. Normally Friday. No work, no emails. Sometimes as you're a pastor, that disappoints people. There we go. Because I have to live in a rhythm. Otherwise I will be a useless pastor all the other times. Unless I live in a rhythm. Normally Sarah and I will have at least an evening a week where it's just us and we try and do something fun. Because if we don't do that, our life becomes very bland. And If you've been married too long, or a long time, life becomes... Because you have to invest time. We will have at least another evening when it's family time with our boys who are still with us at home. We will give them time consistently. It's like in the diary, it's non-negotiable. We will try at least another evening or time slot during the week where we'll see friends because we want to actively build friendship. And the more adult you become, the more active and intentional you have to be on these issues. Otherwise, you end up not having many friends anymore, is my experience. Because when you're younger, you're at school, there's loads of opportunities to make friends. But when you're older, you don't live anywhere near the people you work with, there ain't. So you have to do something about it. You have to choose. No one is holding a gun to your head about the time that we spend doing stuff. We get to choose. Often we say, oh, I'd love to, but I don't have enough time. That's not always true. The truth is we choose what to do with our time. Typically I will do two to three evenings a week with church things. Occasionally I'll do four, but I'm that's my job. Normally not four. Okay? But you have to think if church is important to you, if fellowship, okay, I'm going to put some, what are the priorities? What In my season, our seasons of life are all different. In your season of life, what are you going to allocate time to? Obviously I believe church is important, but But you need to do this, and you need to think carefully about your life. And this is the last thing I'm going to finish. Something to believe. Okay? Because to live in boundaries and rhythms requires faith. Because very often it means you have to say no to things. And to say no to stuff means that you have to go, God, I trust you that I can say no to this, and I'm going to be okay. In a world that tells you you have to do more all the time... You have to learn that's not always true. Actually, often the biblical picture for fruitfulness is pruning. <laughs> it's interesting, you, you read about movies and, and cinema photography. One of the key aspects of that is editing. The best movies have the best editors. They even give awards at Oscars for editing. Because editing is key to a great story. You are, you're not going to live a great life unless you learn how to edit saying no, stepping back, and boundaries, limits, rhythms, saying no involves trust. It means you have to say no to work sometimes. That may mean you don't climb the ladder as fast. Sometimes you're gonna say no to more money because that job is just gonna consume you and spit you out. And you kinda go, do you know what, I'm gonna say no to more money. Well, saying no to more money requires trust and faith that god will look after you sometimes in my job i have to say no to ministry opportunities that might be fun to do i might get more well known i'm going to say no because it means i'm not here for my kids or my wife or our church and so i'm going to say no to that because i trust that god will work it out it'll be okay i'll be fine he's with me sometimes we say no and it requires trust sometimes you will have to say no to church things because you have to live within the rhythms and the limits of what you can do. Because what we say yes to and what we say no to really matters. Because who and what you give your time to will absolutely shape who you become. So I want to pray. Let's stand. We're going to close. Um, but we're just going to pray just really quickly. This may or may not be a very relevant kind of topic for you. You may feel you have a really good handle on this, or the truth is your life may be a bit out of control when it comes to this kind of thing, and you've never thought about this. Okay? I want to encourage you to think deeply about it and to take it seriously, because God gives you responsibility. He gives me the responsibility for my life. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to close. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you modeled remarkably the ability to engage to step in but also at times to withdraw and to draw limits and lord i just want to pray that by your holy spirit you would help us to be obedient to the things you're calling us to to value the people and the things you're calling us to value but also at times give us the courage and the trust to say no to things at times to engage really clearly and at other times to slightly step back because that's what you're calling us to be and calling us to do. And I just want to pray that you'd give each of us the awareness of what you're saying to us and the courage to follow through. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.